This is State of Sports, Utah, with your hosts, Jake Lukler and Jason Stowell. Hey everyone, welcome on Into the Podcast. My name is Jason Stoll alongside my co-host Jake Lukler. Hey everybody! We are stoked to be here today. Good weekend for me. Maybe not so great for Jake, but... Well, uh, uh, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll talk about it, but good, good to be with you guys. Excited to have another week to talk about sports, and that's what this podcast is all about. I'm a BYU fan, Jake's a big Utah fan, and that's what we will be covering and talking about. If you have not listened to us before, we're excited to have you on board. Let's get rolling, shall we? Let's do it. So, we are going to start out by revisiting last week's predictions for BYU and for Utah. Jake, why don't you go ahead and talk about your predictions? Okay, so I'll start with uh, the BYU game, then get to the good stuff. Uh, (laughs) I predicted that BYU would win over ASU. However, I expected a bit more of a close game, and I'm a little disappointed in ASU for not performing for what I had thought they were. Frankly, they didn't look all that impressive to me when playing BYU, at least not up to the caliber that I thought they were. I said the game was going to go 35-32. It was a lot less high-scoring. And then for Utah, I predicted, uh, obviously, Utah victory, uh, 31 for 13. Obviously, uh, I was right about one score. I just wasn't right about what side that score what was. What was the final on. score, <laughs> by the way, for our listeners? Yeah, so for those who didn't watch, uh, Utah lost uh, very narrowly to San Diego State uh, in triple overtime, 33 to 31. So, I did get Utah scoring 31 points correctly. I will pat myself on the back for that. However, uh, again, we'll get into it, but yeah, unfortunately, Utah lost that one too. So, starting out with my predictions for the Utah game as well, I was very wrong. (laughs) I predicted Utah would win in a defensive grinder. 21-17 was my prediction. Obviously, was very wrong. There was a lot more offense in that game than I thought there would be. That was crazy. I didn't actually get to watch the game because I was at the BYU game, and they were going on about the same time. And so I didn't get to watch, but I did follow it and keep track, and I was surprised at how high scoring it was. And then my gem for the week. This This is the most excited thing I was to talk about today. I predicted BYU would win 28 to 17 BYU did win 27 to 17 and the only reason that that score was not 28 to 17 was because BYU smartly when they scored their final touchdown ended up kneeling for the extra point instead of kicking it to keep it at that 10 points that two score margin if they had kicked the extra point and had it blocked ASU could have brought it back and maybe scored and and It would have been an eight-point game and a one-score possession. So the BYU coaching staff was actually really smart. But by all accounts, I'm going to give myself 100% on that one. 99. Okay, I'll take 99. That is as close as you could possibly get. So I was very proud of myself. I felt felt really good with with my prediction there. So that 
was our recap on last week, and I did pretty good. Jake's got some work to do. Hey, hey, <laughs> now, again, I got 31 points on the Utah offense, correct? I did that. That's true. That is not completely uh, wrong. <laughs> it's true. You did not anticipate the f- offensive firepower that suddenly would become ASU. <laughs> or, sorry, SDSU. That's true. All right, so moving on, why don't we go to uh, Game 3 highlights, talk about how the games went last week. So starting off, uh, we'll talk about, I'll talk about Utah, and unfortunately, there were a lot of problems uh, with Utah that have been problems up to this point. Uh, a lot of things that went wrong in the BYU game. We were all really kind of hoping Utah would come out angry, Utah would kind of take out all their frustrations on San Diego State, and we just didn't really see that. The offense really struggled to get going. The offensive line really couldn't seem to protect Charlie Brewer for more than half a second, and, you know, to be playing a team who, don't get me wrong, good team, San Diego State, I'm not going to take that away from them, but a team in a conference of a much lower caliber, it, frankly, it's embarrassing. And I know there was, there's great, there was great frustration uh, not only by myself, but throughout the entire Ute community, just over how poor the offense uh, was performing through the first three and a half quarters. And it wasn't really until they put in quarterback Cam Rising for Charlie Brewer that the offense really got going. It was not an immediate change. It was not something that that happened with a snap of a finger. It took him a couple drives to really kind of figure it out. But once Char- Cam Rising got going, he really got going. And, and that's the part that, uh, that really is the highlight for me. I think... As much as I was disappointed with the majority of the game, and I understand that when you're coming back that much and you spend three and a half quarters of the game from behind, you shouldn't be surprised when you don't come back all the way. And, and frankly, I'm kind of... I've, I've accepted it. and But I am hopeful, honestly. From what I saw out of Cam Rising, he suddenly was able to find the receivers. We were suddenly able to get the offensive line to block... And I don't know whether that's because they like Cam Rising a lot more or they, or Cam is just a better leader or who knows. Maybe they finally figured out San Diego's defense. I don't know what happened. But if Utah can play the rest of the season like they did the last half of the fourth quarter versus San Diego State, frankly, I'm very, I am very hopeful for it. Like I said, there's a lot of disappointment going around in the Utah fan community. And I'm definitely a part of that, but I think something that I've been mulling over this past weekend, and the reason I think I'm so hopeful, is because one fact that Utah fans, I believe, have forgotten is that 2020 was supposed to be a massive reconstruction year. We lost our starting quarterback that had been with the program for his entire college career. We lost our star running back, and we were a very young team last year. And we didn't really get a season last year. We got half a season, less than half a season. And I'm sure it, this season probably would have been much worse had we not played at all. But this really is the 2020 season or what probably would have happened in the 2020 season had we played the full season out. And I, I suppose if I could put that a bit more clearer, 2021, this season, is fulfilling the consequences of 2020. The reason we're not as dynamic or as as developed as a team that I think we were all hoping for is because 2020 was we didn't develop throughout the entirety of the 2020 season. 
And I think that, which ultimately makes 2021 a rebuilding year. As much as I don't like that term, I feel like way too many fans use the term rebuilding year as like a an excuse. But I, I, I legitimately do feel that in a way this is a rebuilding year, at least for the offense. This is an offensive rebuilding year. And we got to find our groove. We got to find what works for us. We got to find our offensive identity. And, because that is what's missing uh, with the Utah offense. We don't have an identity. And I was I was a little surprised, honestly, by some of the media's kind of up-talking of Utah to start the season. Just from like a BYU fan's perspective, coming off of the 2020 year, which was already shortened, I didn't feel like Utah was going to be as good as they were kind of projecting to be, at least on paper and just looking at the way Utah played last season. I felt similarly that that Utah that this still would be more of a rebuilding year with a new quarterback with a lot of fresh young players. So, at least from my perspective, and maybe it's a little skewed because I'm a BYU fan, but that's kind of what I what I felt. I thought they would be good, but not Pac-12 championship level good, not like they were in 2019. Yeah, and I think it's very possible, and I know that I've probably fallen for it. I think it's possible that the positive media attention on Utah in the preseason is what set all these fan expectations for this year. Because, like you said, on paper, 2020 was not that great of a season. I mean, three wins out of five games, that's not bad. That's a winning season, yeah. We still didn't have a starting quarterback coming into this year, didn't have our star running back, and we were without an identity. And that's the problem we find ourselves in right now, and I think... That's what kind of set the expectations that all Utah fans had going in for the season was that abundance of positive media exposure and attention that we got. But ultimately, just kind of talking about it, I think the offense did develop throughout the San Diego State game. I think that assuming that that we can capitalize that, we can find out what we did right, I think Cam Rising is probably going to be the guy. I, I don't know what happened to Brewer. I don't know he looked much better against Weber State. Maybe it's just because we Weber was a, you know, not nearly as good of a team as the rest that we've played so far, or maybe it was just he's Brewer's just not the guy. Maybe, but I feel like the Cam Rising offense that we saw in the fourth quarter is something to look forward to, and I think it's something that can develop into a good season. I think the best of Utah's season is yet to come. And I think having played so many teams. In, in BYU, having played so many teams from the Pac-12 South, there's still stuff to achieve this season. And that's what's great about being in a conference and being able to play a conference schedule is you still have a very winnable season. You know, you can still go on and do things in the Pac-12 South and in the Pac-12 overall. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of been – it's not been as good – as I think people anticipated, pretty much you've got Oregon, who's the best team by far in the Pac-12. But other than that, it's going to be a dogfight. And, and every week is an opportunity to get a win, move up in the standings, and, and to put your best foot forward. So if there is a bright spot for Utah fans, it is that you have conference play now to turn your attention to, to focus and regroup and go out and play your best. And 
I think it was Nick Ford. This was the only thing that I that I saw from as a repercussion from the Utah game. I didn't get to watch again, but I did see that Nick Ford, I believe, said he was calling a team a players only team meeting today, and that they were going to regroup. Yeah. So. The, the, so they did have their team meeting. It was uh, it was early this morning. Uh, we're recording Monday for those who aren't aware. So it was early Monday morning. The coaches didn't initiate that. That was all on the players. And I, like I said, I think they see what's what their problems are. And I think the first thing you got to do to fix yourself is accept what the problem is and acknowledge it. And I think them calling that players meeting is a sign that you know they have the desire and the drive to get better. I'm not throwing in the towel just yet. Because you're right. I mean, frankly, the Pac-12 South is still very much op- open for grabs. USC, yeah, is the is the front runner right now, but I mean they lost to Stanford pretty embarrassingly last last week. So I don't know. I'm 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 still very hopeful. I I have not thrown in the towel on this season either as a fan. I don't think I ever will. But <laughs> but I, like I said, I'm very hopeful. So Jason, why don't we move on and why don't you tell us about BYU versus Arizona State? Yeah. So I was super excited for ASU to to play ASU. They're the biggest challenge of the season so far, no disrespect to Utah, but a ranked ASU team that brings a ton of experience on at quarterback and wide receiver and that brings some elite speed from their defensive side of the ball, their corners, their safeties, um, even even to that carries over obviously to the, the offensive side of the ball as well. Um, so it was a big game for, for BYU, and I thought that they – came into that game and responded really well. They used a lot of the momentum of the crowd. Uh, right at the beginning of the game, they forced a, a fumble on the opening kickoff, which was great and got a touchdown out of that. And uh, overall, it was it was a fantastic game. Uh, some of my highlights uh, of the game, definitely starting out with the defense, they forced four turno- turnovers uh, in the course of the whole game, which was awesome. ASU had 426 yards of total offense compared to BYU's 361, but a lot of that came in that first possession that ASU had on that that really big pass play to open up the game and set up their returned touchdown to, to BYU's first to tie the game. And so if you take away that one big play, yards, total yards were pretty even, and BYU did not allow that explosive play to happen again and I, I think was a big part of why BYU was able to win that that defense recovered after that initial letdown and kept everything in front of them for the most part the the entire rest of the way the the rest of the game so that was a really positive point for BYU again was was that de- uh, defense that's three games in a row that you've held power five Pac-12 opponents to under 20 points and that's huge. That's going to win you a ton of games if you can keep that momentum up and shut team teams down. It's going to do a lot for BYU. Uh, as far as the offense goes, they, the biggest positive that I have from them is, again, just controlling the tempo of the game. BYU played at their own pace after that first quarter in which they only gained 12 total yards of offense. BYU's offense settled in, and they controlled the pace the rest of the way. And specifically, I wanted to highlight that the fourth quarter, uh, they had three separate drives 
that drained clock, that moved the ball, that got first downs, and ultimately won the game and kept ASU from being able to be even on the field. So if you're, you weren't aware or haven't seen anything from the game, uh, BYU started out that fourth quarter with a drive that, or sorry, they finished out that fourth quarter with a drive that extended almost to seven minutes that took the clock all the way down to about one minute, 20 seconds left. Um, They ran the ball in that drive 11 times. They picked up first downs all the way to the goal line. And then on a third down, they, uh, they called a pass play and found their tight end Isaac Rex open in the corner of the end zone for what would be the game ceiling touchdown. And so those those drives, those long drives, were really instrumental in BYU's win. At one point, BYU had driven down the field to around the 35-yard line. Jaron Hall made a bad decision. He was about to go down and tried to force the ball and threw the ball and and it was picked off the ASU player ran down the sideline and I thought for sure that it was going to be a pick six I thought ASU was going to get a touchdown from it they were going to go ahead a field goal you know three points and and that the game was going to really turn but Tyler Algier the running back for BYU sprinted down the field stride for stride with the guy and almost like Karate Kid, Hulk smash, came out of nowhere with his fist and punched the ball out from behind at like the 20-yard line of BYU. And BYU's quarterback had been following the play from behind and fell on the football. And so we got a whole new possession and a whole new drive in which they, again, drove clear down the field and bled a bunch of time. But that was, that was the play of the game hands down unequivocally yeah i saw that was, that was intense that was amazing frankly it was one of the most incredible plays in football that i maybe have ever seen it was just pure will and drive to win to win the football game so tyler algier single-handedly saved byu's football game saved that game and it was it was awesome i, I was able to be in the rock section in the student section at the game for BYU um, and that that crowd atmosphere I said it was really good last week against Utah but that stadium was the loudest I have ever heard it in my entire life in that fourth quarter versus ASU they had passed out to all of the students these inflatable clapper things and they were going from the very first, <laughs> from the kickoff, essentially, all through the entire game. And it was just so loud that the players on the field could not hear. The Arizona State players could not hear. That was their first, ASU's first true road game since early 2019. Uh, since Utah, actually, I think was their last their last true road game with fans, with that environment. Um, and so it's been a long time. They were not prepared. ASU was not prepared for BYU's crowd. And in that fourth quarter, they had a drive that started from the five-yard line of BYU uh, uh, or of ASU, and it was right there in the student section. And they had in that drive they had four false start penalties and a sack, and that was all 
100% caused by BYU student section, by the fans, and it was it was loud, it was deafening, and uh, ASU's offensive coordinator and head coach both talked about not being prepared and how it was on them for not preparing their players to have that sort of noise and that sort of distraction, and they ended up mid-game having to switch to a non-audible snap count. So no clap, no words to get the count, but it was visual coordinating with the center and the guard and the quarterback. And so that was that was huge. And in all honesty, I thought BYU played good, but not great. If that game had been played at ASU, I don't know if BYU wins, honestly. I, I felt like BYU controlled the game, and a lot of that had to do with the crowd. If you haven't watched it, highly recommend going back and, and looking at, at those those highlights from that that fourth quarter because, seriously, you could hear through the TV just just how loud it was. So let's move, let's move forward to our worry spots for our respected teams moving forward. So as far as my concerns with BYU, a lot of them were answered. I felt like the deep ball was there a little bit more in this game. Gunnar Romney had a really great great catch of 30 plus yards uh, and they involved the tight ends. The tight ends came out of nowhere in this game. Two touchdowns for Isaac Rex and they looked they looked really good. So really my only worry spot and it's a refresher from the Arizona game and it's injuries. Uh, for, for BYU, obviously, you're missing your starting cornerback in Keenan Ellis, uh, and that was a big loss. Hopefully, he will be back soon. He still is not listed on the depth chart, but uh, Chaz Ayu had talked about him coming back this season, so that's something to watch out for. Unfortunately, in the game against ASU, his replacement, Isaiah Heron, was hurt on that like 70-yard touchdown, or touchdown drive setting up pass that got them to like the three yard line. He was injured on that play. And so that's, that's hope they have not specified what that injury is, but they have said that everyone was ding that was dinged up in the game should be available to play. So hopefully that's not a bad injury for BYU, but even with that injury, they played pretty well. Like I said, they're the guys that replaced injured players came in and stepped up and, ASU did not have a long play like that the entire rest of the game, which speaks to BYU's depth really well um, for how good they're set up this season. And then the big one that is my concern is is Keenan Peely. Uh, it was announced this morning that he has torn his ACL and is done for the season. And that's, that is your starting Mike linebacker your captain of the defense, and that is a huge, huge loss for BYU. And fortunately happens in one of the deepest, it is the deepest position on BYU's defense, thankfully, but still a massive loss. You lose a guy that had 31 tackles on the season, um, including 14 solo. And to put that in perspective, last season, he was one of BYU's best defensive players and he had 72 total tackles for the year so already through three games he was on pace he almost had half of that so he was on pace for an incredible season on BYU's defense so prayers up to 
Keenan Peely really sucks for him. Hopefully he can can recover from that. I'm not sure what what his red shirt status is. You know, if he can apply for a medical red shirt, that would be that would typically be great the rule save. for medical red shirts is if you've played less uh, four games or less, then you are eligible for a medical red shirt. I think unless you've already had a medical red shirt before. So. Um, and even sure that is somewhat history. flexible because I, we've seen some guys have multiple medical redshirt years. It's true. So. There are there are exceptions. That's so, true. So hopefully he he recovers from that really well. Surgery goes well, and and we'll miss we'll miss Keenan a ton on the defensive side. So looking at Utah and my worry spots for them, and like I said, um, this definitely is a rebuilding year. Again, using that term pretty solemnly. Don't want to throw that around too much. But my biggest worry is that rebuilding and improving, like I wholeheartedly believe that they will throughout the season, my worry is that it's going to take too long. Is that the next several weeks are going to be, the, the growth is going to be very slow paced. And we're not really going to see what this team can become and what I believe that it will be until the season's mostly over. I don't think that's what will happen, but it is a worry that it could happen most definitely. The O-line obviously is the biggest area that I that I know to be the, the problem. I don't want to put all of the blame on them at the, the offensive line. It's certainly not entirely their fault of Utah's problems on offense, but it's definitely a major factor. Not being able to create holes for your running backs, not being able to give your quarterback time to make a play has proved debilitating. And unless we get that under control, this is going to be a pretty bleak season. So... Mine are pretty quick, and why don't we move on then to our next segment, which is conference news. And boy, is there some juicy stuff to talk about this week. So, in Pac-12 news, and this is a big one, because it came by a surprise, I think, which was USC fired their head coach, Clay Helton. Now, for those who are not aware, Clay Helton was hired not too long ago. However, in the years that he has been there, it's been no secret that he hasn't exactly gotten the team to perform at the level in which USC is used to perform. Now, whether that's him being a bad a bad coach or not the level of coach that they expected him to be, whether that's recruiting, it's hard to say. But it caught me by surprise, certainly, because they were two weeks in the season and they fired their head coach. Whether you like your head coach or not, I'm not sure that's your best move. Jason, what do you think about that? Especially since BYU is looking toward a season close against USC this year, aren't they? Yes, so we play USC at the end of the season, last game. <laughs> I I would have... It, it's honestly a little scary. I always hate playing teams with new coaches, and when you get that, that re-jumble. And actually, as a team, USC responded really well this week. They made a change at quarterback... To shout out to Jackson Dart, who is a Utah, like a state of Utah high school prospect from from Corner Canyon, uh, he got to play this game and and he did finish really well. the game, and he played tremendous. They beat up on Washington State forty five to fourteen. So it's gonna be interesting. I'm glad I we don't play them like next game. You know, we get yeah. the whole rest of the season to see what their um, interim head coach looks like and what what kind of schemes that they run so we will have film but man it's always a big a big deal when 
a team like USC of that <laughs> prestige prestige has to find a new head coach and you've already seen some guys turn down the job or deny that they're even interested in it. I know both Kyle Whittingham and Kalani Sataki's names have been thrown in there as a potential candidate to replace them. I don't think that's very likely. Yeah, neither Honestly, of them are going to USC. USC needs to shoot really big on this next coaching f- hire because they have not been a legitimate factor in the college football playoff you know competing for a championship in a long time and and that fan base is really antsy really antsy very true and see utah plays them in just three weeks we have washington state this next week we have a bye week and then we play usc in the coliseum i believe so utah doesn't quite have as the luxury that byu does of playing them toward the end of the season we have them directly mid-season on in week six and so This definitely is a big deal that they've fired their head coach. And whether their interim head coach can hold the team together is a big question mark. Washington State isn't exactly the top-tier team to play off against. And I think that was a very good thing for USC this week. But I know that there are a lot of names floating around. I know they have expressed interest in Urban Meyer, current head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's denied that he's even remotely interested in leaving. But we can never trust his word because he has said... (laughs) That's that's true. He's retired from coaching like four different times. I mean, that, that is true. So who really knows? I know that the head coach of Oregon is being thrown around. The offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs is being thrown around. So a lot of prospects, lot, and with a name like USC, they're definitely likely to get at least the those big names to interview for the position, whether they sign the NDA or not. <laughs> uh, so aside from that, well, why don't we move on to uh, some Big 12 news? And it's not necessarily that uh, something dramatic has happened. It's just something that has not happened for the Big 12 in a considerable amount of time, and it's that the... Big 12 as a conference, or a prospective future conference, has an abundance of players currently in the top 25. Being, not if you include Oklahoma, they're ranked number 4. Cincinnati's ranked number 8. Iowa State is currently ranked 14. BYU 15. And Kansas State 25. Now, just my first impressions, this makes that expansion of the four teams look all the much smarter. Cincinnati and BYU coming in, both in the, in the top 15 at this time, definitely makes the addition of those four teams look like a valuable choice. And it really emphasizes. And, it, and for BYU fans, you guys should frankly be really happy about this because not only is BYU proving that they deserve to be in a Power 5 conference, so is Cincinnati. And that's, gonna, and that's really going to increase your guys's recognition when you defeat these teams or even if even if you lose to those teams when you are in the big 12 conference it's going to make the conference look a whole lot better and when you look at the overall record even those of the big 12 teams that are not ranked the big 12 is 27 and 4 the new big 12 without texas and oklahoma that is incredible what what a start to the season those four losses 
that the the new Big Twelve teams have incurred are a loss at three and zero number five Iowa, a loss to three and zero number seventeen Coastal Carolina, a loss to three and zero Maryland, and a loss to two and one Louisville. So the future is really bright in this conference. There have been a ton, there's been tons of talk about oh the new Big Twelve isn't Power Five or whatever, but I'm telling you. The Big 12 is going to compete, continue to compete at the highest level, and I think it's only going to get better without Texas. It will definitely not be better without Oklahoma, but losing Texas to me is not <laughs> is is potentially a good thing. You you yeah. don't have to compete as much with uh, with recruiting in conference with Texas now. I just I just I don't know. I think overall. It's a really positive outlook for the conference, including yeah. Kansas. Of yeah, all Kansas teams. State. That one is the biggest surprise to me personally. Kansas State. I don't ever think I've been alive and seen their name in the top twenty-five. At least not in football. Basketball, maybe, but definitely not football. So they—they they are definitely the surprise-ranked team that I, frankly, I'm just kind of blown away with. But this, I think, also gives you maybe at least a look into how the future of the new Big 12 is going to look. I think it's very possible that Cincinnati could be one of BYU's top contenders for the conference championship. Same with Iowa State, and let's not forget Baylor. Just because Baylor's not doing fantastic at the current moment, not to say they're doing poorly, just because they're not fantastic at the current moment doesn't mean that they're not going to bounce back like they have played in the past several years. So I think this is definitely a great window into how BYU is going to stack up and maybe their potential, maybe a potential rival. And I think, I think the point that you bring up is really good as well, because does this new big 12 have an iconic team other than BYU? As far as historical teams go, no, they don't. They don't have someone that's an Oklahoma or an Oregon or a USC, right? But top to bottom talent wise, the Big 12 is still very much a Power 5 conference. It's better, again, top to bottom, than most of the other conferences aside from the SEC and the Big 10. But you look at like where the ACC is as a whole in a conference, and even the, especially the Pac-12 this, this season, it is looking very good for BYU and for the Big 12. Yeah, the new Big 12, it, I'll admit, is looking very impressive. I, if, I, if I was a BYU fan... I would be very excited for this. And I know we've talked about this personally, Jake, but I would love to see Utah, maybe the Arizona schools, maybe you even look at Nebraska and Colorado, former Big 12 members. I would love to see some of those teams leave the nonsense of the Pac-12, which does not fit politically with with the state of Utah's overall reputation and and i would love to see byu in utah in the big 12 i'm gonna say it i i think it would be better for utah i think it would be better for the state of utah i i would love it my opinion on that has i'll admit it has fluxed back and forth last year i was not happy with the pac-12 in restricting the amount of games and just all that so i'll admit but, but my my opinion is fluxed up and down uh i i, I do love the pac-12 but I'll I'll admit, the idea of Utah, you know, hopping over to the Big Twelve, it doesn't. I don't hate it. I do enjoy in, at least entertaining the idea, for sure. And I think 
as we look at conference expansions and realignment and all that kind of thing, it's going to be very interesting to watch USC and Oregon because if they bolt, if they together, oh, the Pac-12 will fall apart if the, if those teams absolutely one hundred percent. And so I think if you if you keep building your relationship with other you know more eastern schools in the big 12 right as as utah as a program and and again keep that relationship with byu the big 12 would be stupid not to say if and again this is all hypothetical it may never happen but but the big 12 absolutely utah would be one of the top teams from the pac-12 that they would they would look to add and it makes a lot of sense geographically with with byu already now being in the conference for sure so why don't we move on now to our last segment, which is predictions about next week, about week four. So as far as BYU is concerned, as a fan, not the team, because the team does not have this excuse, but as a fan, I'm looking forward to relaxing this week. We play the University of South Florida, who is not good. They're not a good team. BYU should win this game handily. It should be a good time to rest some of your injured players, to not have to p- play some a lot of your key players. This should be a game that, as a fan, we look forward to having an easy win. But as a team, you cannot overlook South Florida. As players on that team, we did that before with South Florida. in A couple of years ago, when we p- went to... USF and and played at their place we absolutely overlooked it looked them and it kicked us in the teeth and we ended up losing Um, and ironically Jaron Hall that was his first game starting for an injured Zach Wilson so he he did start that game and I guarantee you he wants revenge on USF and and they're going to have the right mindset going into this game. They've had the right mindset every game that they've played so far. They haven't let the Big 12 news distract them or the fact that it's they the fact that it is Utah that are playing or that they won against Utah. They have not let that carry over week to week and distract them. So I'm looking forward to a BYU victory over USF and I'm going to say 38-7 BYU. That's my prediction. Okay, so you're you're expecting pretty much a blowout. Yes, I'm, I I would imagine that that last touchdown comes in with all the second stringers and whatnot <laughs> toward the very end. You know what? I am going to agree with you. If BYU does not win against South Florida, I think I'll eat my hat honestly. And for Utah's sake, you know BYU playing well at this moment does make the loss to BYU a whole lot less damaging. So. I'm going to predict that they win and I'm going to say I'm going to say 40 to 10. Not a, not a huge difference, but I'm going to I'm going to give South Florida the benefit of the doubt. I say they're going to at least score 10 points. I like it. I like it. Okay. So, when it comes to Utah, there's we're, we play Washington State next week. Now, Washington State is a team that Utah has notoriously had a good history with. As Kyle Whittingham likes to say, they are the antithesis of Air Force. They are all about the pass game, no rush, no rush game. Which, don't get me wrong, the ru- the run game is typically Utah's bread and butter when it comes to defense. But particularly this year, and and just in general, I think for right now we're gonna stack up pretty well against Washington State. I mean, heck, if Utah State can beat them, I think 
Utah can as well. Uh, so I'm going to say Utah is going to win 28-20 to 20 against Washington State. So a lower scoring game. Yes, I think this is going to be a lower scoring game. I don't think they really have many offensive dynamos or really key players enough to score all that much. And I think Utah will be kind of recalibrating the offense, figuring out how to run a cam rising offense i think we're we're gonna get going but i don't think we'll quite be explosive on the points i think it's gonna be 2028 28 20 utah um i think that washington state is a horrible football team losses to usc and to utah state and their one win has come against portland state yeah i'm a lot more optimistic as an outside person to this game i honestly think it's gonna be I think it's going to be 35 to 10, Utah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think Utah's going to oh. bounce back. But that's that's my my opinion. I don't I'm very low on Washington State, more so than mm. high on Utah. But I do think they're going to figure some things out with camerizing and Yeah. It'll be better. And I guess while we've brought up Utah State, maybe it's a good time that we check in with them being three weeks into the season. Now, neither of us are very big Utah State fans. In fact, I'll be honest, I'm not even sure I've met personally a Utah State fan. Their territory is quite small in the state, but they exist, and we can't forget them. Uh, Right now, they're doing pretty well. They are currently undefeated. Uh, Not too many flashy wins. So far, last week was their best win against Air Force. Uh, They managed to eke out a win. Uh, The true test, I think, of this team will come with this next week, Boise State. And although I'm going to give the win to Boise, I think. I think they are, unfortunately, Utah State's high is going to fall, and I think they're going to lose by at least 10, if not 20 points. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think that Utah State's been pretty unproven so far. They kind of struggled with North Dakota for the yeah. first first half, at least, yeah. with them, and then they, they got things going and, and won. Eric? If your best win is Air Force, it's just not saying a lot, honestly. You put up a lot of points, but again, we'll find out who Boise State or sorry, who Utah State is upcoming against Boise. And Boise's a good team. Like they they're are. they're one and two, but both of those losses, those losses have come to UCF, who's a great team, and yep. to Oklahoma State, who's also a great team. So, you know, if if Utah State plays well, and puts up some similar points, then they'll be in good shape. But I'm, I'm going to go Boise State on that one as well. Yeah, exactly. So the last thing that I wanted to just briefly mention, Breck McMurphy is the college football writer. He is the most trusted, most well-known source for college football insight and news. He broke a lot of the news with the Big 12 both with Texas and OU leaving, and then, of course, with BYU and uh, the other three schools joining the conference. Um, And today he posted his bold projections, and I wanted to say this just to get BYU fans optimistic and excited about what this season could be. Um, But in his bold projections, he has BYU facing Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl at the end of the season. I believe it was the Cotton Bowl. I'm throwing this in. It was not on the schedule, but uh, he has BYU going to a New Year's Six Bowl, and that, with this schedule, that is the ceiling for for BYU, and it's really exciting to be at that point. 
He said that if BYU is 11-0 going into the USC game, that they will be in good enough shape that that game does not matter. That if they drop that game to USC, or if they win that game against USC, that they will be in a New Year's Six game. That they're even if they go 12-0, it's, it's not going to be enough for the playoff committee to put them in over a you know a that fourth team whether that's Oklahoma or you know whomever but very exciting for BYU uh, and lots of optimism and excitement into this season and we need you at Lavelle Edwards Stadium for these games every game matters even USF so grab your tickets byutickets.com come see the game cheer loud be a part of it cuz it's it's there has not been a better time to be a BYU fan, I think, than right now. It's so all you bandwagoners, we're back. The wagon. <laughs> yep, you're back. <laughs> so lots of excitement, but and for those of you who aren't band- bandwagoner Utah fans, make sure you guys head over to Rice Cycle Stadium this Saturday against uh, Wazoo. I am very hopeful, and I feel like Utah fans as a whole should be as well. Maybe we're not necessarily what we hoped. And who knows, maybe we still take the Pac-12 South if we can get our stuff together. And frankly, it's still possible. So go out, support the Utes, and I guess we'll see you on Saturday. Thanks again, guys, so much for listening. We are happy to have you a part of our podcast listening group, I guess you would call it. Um, We really appreciate you guys listening to us. We take a lot of time to edit and record and plan for for these podcasts and we just have a lot of fun so if we haven't thanked you enough don't say that we haven't now because you are thanked and loved we we love you our obligation is filled filled (laughs) well thank you again guys for listening for my co-host jacob lukler i am jason stoll and we will see you on the next one Thank you for listening to this State of Sports Utah production. SFX technical support provided by Samantha Knight.